Amen. What a blessing. We are counting down to our 10th anniversary, and there is also an insert in your bulletin for that. We'd love for you to mark your calendars for those events coming up. 10 years of God's faithfulness. Church plants usually don't make it. Statistically, it's really hard, and God has been really great to us. So we're celebrating four Sundays to go, our 10th anniversary on September 15th. Uh, that's going to be the official birthday. On the 21st, we're going to have a church picnic for fellowship on Saturday. It's going to be in the afternoon, evening. More details will come today uh, or uh, this week about that. September 22nd, we're going to hear some testimonies of what God has done over the past 10 years. Um, and there's also going to be Bring a Friend Sunday on the 29th. We're going to have some food trucks out in the parking lot so people can uh, just have a fellowship opportunity afterwards. And that's just going to be a lot of fun. So we're looking forward to all of those things coming up. And um, can't wait for that. Open your Bibles up to the book of Romans, chapter 14. The book of Romans, chapter 14. We only have three weeks left in the book of Romans, and then we are done. What a book it's been. What a study it's been. If you would like to catch up on these sermons or you missed some of them, all of the sermons are available on our website. So you can always go back and, and hear them. Uh, and we're at the point now, we're in the, we're in the finale, where we are closing out the book. And, you know, when I took preacher class... They, they told me to be very careful about how many verses I preach on a Sunday morning, because if you bite off more than you can chew, uh, you know, then, then you're going to have to really work hard to get through the text, and you won't be able to explain things that deeply. So, please do not tell my preaching class teacher about this morning's sermon, because we're going to go through the whole chapter of Romans 14, all in one burst, and we're going to be skipping along the surface, uh, turn to the person next to you and say, this isn't the way it should be. So go ahead, just tell that this isn't the way it should be, all right. Uh, we, we ordinarily could break this into two or three different weeks, uh, but as we close out the book here, there are just certain things that I have to choose to not camp on for a long time. This could have been a five-year study, and so what we're going to do is we are going to go through all of Romans 14, um, and we're going to get a lot out of this. The whole chapter is around the, the same theme, so it's not like we're missing anything, all right? It's not like we're leaving anything out. Um, but it would really be nice to have had another week or two um, in this chapter. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about guidelines for gray areas. There were some gray areas in the Bible, and Christians were uh, divided. They weren't in agreement on how they should act out faith in this area, in these areas. So whenever they would come to church, people would have different opinions, different practices, and they were starting to get uh, like polarized around these different gray areas, and then it was causing conflict in the church. So this is going to be really helpful not only to learn what church was like back then um, in, in Rome in the first century, but also this is really practical for us too. Uh, and one way to think about um, gray areas in the Bible and guidelines is uh, when I was growing up, we had a pool and our pool had a filter. And when you have a pool, you need a filter because if you don't have a filter, you won't have a pool for very long. You'll have a swamp. All right. And as we talk about gray areas, you have to ask yourself, do I even have a filter? Do I have a filter in this gray area? Because if you don't have a filter for a gray area, your life is going to turn into a swamp. Morally, if you're like, oh, I'm going to do what the Bible tells me to do, and beyond that, I'm free to do whatever I want, okay, you're going to have a swampy heart, okay? So there needs to be a filter. Uh, but I'll never forget when our pool filter cracked, right? It cracked, and then it wasn't working right. Sometimes your filter can crack, and you need your filter to be repaired, Meaning overall you're leading a pretty good life, but in a gray area, suddenly, suddenly things aren't getting cleaned up like they used to be. And then sometimes the filter breaks. And uh, once my dad tried to fix our pool filter, right? He went and got some glue and I don't even know what he tried to do. 
uh, but he gave me permission to tell this story, and he got it all fixed up and then told my mom to turn it on, and it blew up. I mean, shot a piece of plastic shrapnel all the way into the yard. He was cut. He was, you know, there was blood was drawn, and so he realized that he needed a new one. So some of you today might be like, wow, I need a filter. I've never even thought about operating in gray areas with a filter. Some of you might be like, my filter's cracked. Some of you might be like, I just blew up my filter, right? Like, I really just blew it up. I don't know. But I think God's going to use this sermon uh, in all of our hearts to teach us how to function in gray areas. That being said, let's pray for the sermon, and then we'll get into the text together. Father, thank you for your word and for the book of Romans. Bless these final few sermons with your spirit and your presence. Help us to know how to honor and glorify you, especially when it's unclear exactly how to do that. And as we attempt, O oh Lord, to glorify you in every area of our lives, may we do it in community, always keeping an eye on those around us, helping them to excel in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in the book of Romans chapter 14, here's what it says. The, the closeout verse of last week was, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The challenge there is, don't feed the parts of your body that really love sin. That's a perfect way to lead into gray areas. Don't feed anything in your body that has an appetite for sin. Then it says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, uh, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Uh, already we have introduced here a gray area scenario. As for the one who is weak in faith, we're going to have to define that, welcome him, meaning he's not in sin. There's just this area that's gray that this brother has a different opinion on and he's uh, sensitive to. But we're not to quarrel over what's going on in this topic. And one person believes he may... So now we're talking about food. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, let's unpack this. Number one, jot this down. What is a gray area? What is a gray area? Here, what was going on was some Christians believed that their diet was a spiritual matter before them and God. Okay, And they could have had multiple reasons for thinking this. If they were Jewish, they may have looked to the Old Testament and saw food restrictions and thought, well, God cares about what I eat. Um, and maybe they weren't quite knowledgeable or, or about how Jesus declared all foods to be ceremonially clean. So, uh, but they're called a weaker brother here. Let's be careful to define what that means. The weaker brother here does not mean that they're weak morally. It doesn't mean, oh yeah, that's the guy who always gets blitzed on Sunday afternoon and goes to the casino to gamble away his life savings. Man, he can't get it together. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a morally weak person. We're talking about a person who's weak in faith. That means there's an area uh, that it's implied that they could and should get stronger in their understanding of truth in this area. All right, so, so whatever is morally uh, scaring them, they're, they're overly sensitive in this area, okay? So it implies that the desire is that there would be growth ultimately in this area. Welcome him, which means uh, be very careful to show love to a person who's wrestling in a gray area, uh, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything. Now, this is the strong in faith person, a person who really sees that biblically there's no reason for me to be concerned about my food. You know, like, like if I was Jewish, like I used to be concerned about my food because Jesus changed that and now I can eat whatever I want. 
Um, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So you have a strong and a weak person in faith here, and you have food as being an issue of a gray area. One other way food could be a gray area in the Bible is if you weren't raised Jewish, maybe you were raised, you know, Greek, you would go, the best restaurants in town were attached to the idol temples because the best meat went to the idols, the priests sacrificed the food, and then they had, you know, a, a deli and a restaurant and a butcher shop next to it. They would sell it and they would serve it. So imagine if you're a Christian and you've got a Greek person from church and they bring you out to lunch and you know that this steak you're about to eat was just sacrificed to who knows who, Zeus? You know, and you're like, can I, can I eat this? And there were some people who were raised worshiping uh, false gods. And so when they see the food, their heart is still drawn toward the idolatry that's attached to it, right? So that could be one example of a weak brother who the food is still spiritually, you know, a, a source of confusion and temptation. Those are just a few scenarios that the Bible um, lays out. When it comes to gray areas in the Bible... Um, they include observing special religious days. Are we required to observe all the holidays? The Sabbath was a gray area that Christians didn't need to celebrate or observe like they used to in the Old Testament. Head coverings in church. These are examples of gray areas in the Bible. Um, and, and the Apostle Paul and other authors take time to deal with these because they could become divisive in the church. Here's a definition of gray areas. You can jot this down. Beliefs and behaviors that aren't commanded or forbidden in Scripture. Belief or behavior that isn't commanded or forbidden in Scripture. Now, after I wrote this and even got the notes printed, I thought, there's another definition of gray areas that I, did, I should include too. So you're going to have to write this one out, okay? Or you can just change one word. Another definition of a gray area is beliefs and behaviors that are both commanded and forbidden in Scripture, okay? So God says don't, and then later he says do, or he says do, and then later he says don't. And you're like, what am I supposed to do? It says both. In the Old Testament, I, I have to observe the Sabbath, and the New, I don't. Right? So a gray area would be beliefs and behaviors that aren't commanded or forbidden in Scripture, meaning the Bible doesn't even say. Right? Uh, or it can be confusing when the Bible says both do it and don't do it. These are gray areas. Now today, what would be some gray areas... Uh, that we deal with in our faith and in the church. A list could include this. Uh, what media should Christians consume? Uh, should Christians watch that movie? Should Christians watch that program on Netflix? Media is a gray area, right? The Bible doesn't give you a Hulu viewing guide. It's nowhere in the Bible. When it comes to clothing, what clothes should Christians wear? Where is the line with a young Christian woman between modest and hoochie, right? Like, like at what point of shirt length am I sinning? The Bible doesn't say. It's a gray area. Uh, should Christians dance? Which dance moves cross the line? Right? Bible doesn't say. How should Christians vote? What should Christians eat? Is there a Christian diet? These are all gray areas that are not clearly spelled out in Scripture. How should Christians school our children? Is homeschooling the only way to go? Private school. Pu is public school turning your children over to Satan himself? The Bible doesn't say, but Christians have strong opinions about this. What video games are off limits? When as a parent should I be concerned about the violence or the gore or the language that I'm seeing 
uh, on a video game? The Bible doesn't say. How much debt should I carry as a Christian? Plenty of verses about debt and money in the Bible, but there's no real black and white clear issue in our uh, current economy how exactly we should live that out. So that's areas of behavior, and then there are areas of belief, doctrine. So the end times, when will the rapture happen? How will the millennial kingdom work? Is there a millennial kingdom on earth, or is it figurative? These are all black and white. These are all gray areas. We don't exactly know. Spiritual gifts. How does speaking in tongues work today um, when we worship? What's the best evangelism strategy? How old is the earth? Which Bible translation do we use? This would be an, a list of beliefs that are not clarified in the Bible. And many Christians have very strong beliefs about these things. How, how, many Christians have very open beliefs about these things. These would be examples of gray areas. Now, I know that maybe you'd prefer, if you're kind of a rule follower, for me to go right back through all of these lists and give you the 10 things on each one that you should follow. And I, then I would turn gray areas black and white for you, right? I'll give you a length of shirt that crosses a line, right? And I would give you, but that's not what we're supposed to do in gray areas. So know what a gray area is, and I would say this, know what isn't a gray area. Christians, we can make two mistakes. We can attempt to turn gray areas black and white. And maybe you grew up in a church full of rules that weren't in the Bible. And they were trying to turn gray areas black and white. They were trying to do it for you. And maybe it backfired in your heart. Um, that's a mistake. But another mistake is trying to turn a black and white area gray. Right? Like when the Bible is clearly commanding you or forbidding something. And you're like, well, I don't know what to do. No, it's clear. So don't turn a black and white area gray. Um, today, we live in a world, you need to understand, where everything is gray. There is no such thing in our world today as a black and white truth. It's all situational. Well, maybe you did the right thing for you in that setting, but don't make any sort of absolute rule that applies to everyone because they don't exist. So we live in a world of gray. For you to even insist that some things are always right and some things are always wrong, you're a fool to the world. But we do believe that. We do believe that there are moral absolutes. The Bible is very clear about lying, about adultery, about premarital sex. The Bible is very clear about divorce and the conditions of what makes a divorce biblical, which is very rare. Stealing, worshiping false gods, uh, believing all religions lead to God, murder. There are black and white things that we can't turn into gray areas. Now, you might say, yeah, but Ryan, there are rare exceptions when it is tough to know the right choice. Like, what about when Jonathan and David knew that King Saul was going crazy, and so they worked behind the scenes against what he was trying to do as a government? Um, or what about Daniel, who disobeyed the king's order and was thrown to the lions? I would say this. It's easy to spot the difference between a genuine moral dilemma and outright spiritual defiance. It's easy to spot that. It's easy to spot the difference between a genuine moral dilemma, meaning my company policy is this, but Illinois law just changed to this, what genuine moral dilemma uh, versus <clears throat> outright spiritual defiance. And if you're like, oh yeah, well Rahab hid those spies, so, so it's fine that I lied to my employer. Uh, no, no. 
You're trying to turn a black and white area of deception in, into a gray area, and you can't do that. Um, so know what isn't a gray area. And I don't want you to walk out of this sermon feeling like if you're making a black and white compromise in your faith, that you can turn it into gray. Well, who knows what to do? That's not the point. So know what is a gray area, beliefs and behaviors that aren't commanded or forbidden in Scripture, or beliefs and behaviors that are both commanded or forbidden in Scripture. Number two, in gray areas, the first thing the Bible says is mind your own business. Mind your own business. Turn to the person next to you and say, mind your own business. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Number three, here's what it says. Let not the one who eats... Now, this refers to the person who can eat meat. The Bible says you can eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. If you go to McDonald's today and the server comes up and says, I just sacrificed this burger to Baal. Enjoy. <laughs> Bible's like, eat it. Eat it. There's no spiritual pollution in that burger. Okay. So the one who eats anything isn't doing wrong. Let the one who eats not despise the one who abstains. So if someone's next to you and they're like, oh, I would never touch a burger sacrifice to Baal. All right, so I can't look at that person and despise them. Like, you weako. Yeah, I can't despise that person because they're sensitive in this area. And let not the one who abstains, so now, now there's the weaker brother over here, I can't eat that. I would feel terrible. I'd feel like I'm sinning if I ate that Baal burger. Okay, but then when he's watching me enjoy it, <laughs> let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So a weaker brother over here can't be like, how dare you? You're, now you're reaching over in a gray area and judging another person. Okay. So in gray areas, ideally you want to mind your own business. You're not responsible, this is big, you're not responsible or authorized to govern the gray areas of other people. You are not responsible or authorized to govern the gray areas um, of other people. It says in verse 3, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, this is really important to get this verse right, uh, because if there is a black and white sin in your life, this is an example where we're talking about gray areas and the Bible is telling us something to do that was commanded elsewhere, right? You are commanded to go to a brother who's stuck in a black and white sin and help them to get right with God. We are commanded to do that. But here it says in a gray area, you're commanded not to do that. So, you know, if someone sits down with you and they're like, dude, you just stole your neighbor's car, and you're like, who are you to judge the servant of the... No, don't misapply this. If you are really in sin, don't use this verse to get out of accountability. This is not aimed toward that. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Here's what this means. When it comes to gray areas, if you disagree with a fellow Christian about how they're living out their freedom in that area, mind your own business. Okay, mind your own business. And this verse is not meant for you to say this to someone else. So you, you can't say to someone else, hey, mind your own business in gray areas. Nope, this is a verse for you. Right? For you. You don't tell other people to mind their own. It's between them and God. You tell yourself 
I'm going to mind my own business in this area. I'm going to mind my own business. The Lord is able to make him stand. This is between him and God. Him and God. It says in verse 5, one person esteems one day is better than another. So many of you grew up in a Christian tradition where you celebrated the Sabbath, right? You observed it and there were rules attached to that and you couldn't ride your bike or go to the store and you had to get food. You know, there was nothing wrong with what that church did. They decided to esteem one day above another. That was not sin. You observing that was not sin. In fact, there was a whole lot of wholesome spiritual fruit that came from that. But if you were to look at another Christian and you see them working on their roof and you're like, well, there's a hellbound fella. <laughs> now you've crossed over in a gray area because the Sabbath is a gray area in the New Testament. Now you've crossed over and you're, you're, you're reaching over and you're not minding your own business. Okay. One person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike. Now here's an important concept. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give, gives thanks to God. So the assumption in this part of the passage is that both the weaker brother and the stronger brother are really doing what they think God wants them to do. Okay, It's an important assumption. Uh, and, and yet, they can be misguided in how they judge or command the other person. I'm honoring the Lord by not eating meat, and the other guy's like, well, I'm honoring the Lord by eating it. How can both of those be true? This is often how gray areas work. I'm honoring the Lord by having a Sabbath on Sunday. Well, I'm honoring the Lord by not. How can both of those be true? Well, welcome to gray areas. Welcome to gray areas. The man who's weak in faith in this passage has misguided moral feelings regarding non-moral issues. Okay, Mis misguided. He doesn't properly understand how his view of honoring God by not eating meat, sacrifice to idols or whatever, is just one way to honor God. This weaker brother doesn't quite understand that this isn't a rule for everyone. He's getting there, but he doesn't quite understand that yet. Therefore, his conscience is overactive in this area. So what would be an example of a person who's weak in faith today? Well, maybe you have an area in your life and you're just not, there's a lot of moral gravity to this area. You feel like if you do this or if you don't do this, you're really sinning against God. But you know there's other Christians who have a different opinion, right? That would be an example. Now, you can have these feelings. Your conscience can be going off for many reasons. Maybe you have a history in this area of your life and you're afraid that you would be predisposed to, to, to go down a pattern. Like maybe there's alcoholism in your family history or in your past. And so you're like, okay, I know some Christians have a glass of wine, but I can't do that. So in other words, your fear might be valid and, and you're weaker in this area in conscience than other people. And you know what? That might be true. This might be a different kind of fight for you than someone else. Um, but that doesn't give you the right to look to other people and to, and, and to start, you know, minding their business in this area. It, you need to know, you need to be fully convinced in your own heart. Now, what would be an example of a stronger brother in faith? This would be a brother who has misguided moral feelings too. But his misguided moral feelings are, I can do this without sinning. Everyone should do, be able to do this without sinning. That's not true. You know, I, I'm free to do this, and therefore, what's your problem? That's a misguided moral feeling when you start reaching over in your freedom. Maybe this area isn't as big of a challenge to you, but it is a challenge to other people, and you have to wake up to that. So both the weak and the strong brother have misguided moral feelings just in different ways. The point is this. In gray areas, mind your own business. Know what's between you and God. Write this down. If you do blank, meaning this could include 100 different things, in gray areas. If you do choose to eat meat, 
then don't despise those who don't. Don't despise those who don't. So gray areas could include, let's say you do decide to have a glass of wine periodically and, and that's the way you treat. You know, alcohol is not a sinful substance, but you can sin using the substance. So let's say that you have a glass of wine, right? If you do, or let's say you watch some R-rated movies, you know, and, and, and you're not going to make the blanket prohibition like some Christians, you know, I'll never watch a movie or I'll never watch an R-rated. Maybe you're like, I'll watch some of them. Or if you do have a glass of wine or watch some R-rated movie or eat meat, you know, other Christians today, a good example today would be like a lot of Christians are really upset about a few years ago when Target started, you know, announcing their bathroom policy and how that's tied into issues that are in the news today. A lot of Christians were like, I will never shop there again. They had very strong feelings about that. So another example here would be maybe you do shop at Target, you know, and if you do have a glass of wine or watch some R-rated movies or eat meat or shop at Target, if you do, don't despise those who don't. So if there are people who are like, I feel like I need to make a moral stand here. If you, if you people who are like, I need to draw a thick, hard line with what I'm going to watch movie-wise or I'm never going to drink alcohol. Don't despise those people. The people who don't do what you do. Don't despise them. In your heart, don't be like, oh, that person, ranting on Facebook again. Yeah. Don't despise them. If you do, don't despise those who don't. Jot this down. If you don't, fill in the blank, so maybe you never drink alcohol. Maybe you never watch R-rated movies or movies at all. Maybe you never eat meat. Maybe you never shop at Target. The Bible gives you a command. Don't judge those who do. Don't judge those who do. So it's fine if you don't, but the moment you see someone coming out of the Target with their shopping bag and you're like, oh, I need to tell them what I think. Now you're crossing the line. This is supposed to be your business, and don't meddle in the business of others. Um, so one person esteems one day is better than another. You should be fully convinced in your own mind. If this is a way that you're honoring God and glorifying him, great. But understand, people are going to have different opinions. And look, this might send a shiver down your spine. But what they are doing or not doing is glorifying God just as much as you just as much as you. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. Verse 7. Now I have to throw in a caveat here because I'm really nervous that people are going to misapply this. If there are authority figures in your life, they do have a right and a responsibility to establish healthy boundaries in gray areas. Okay, A right and a responsibility. Kind of the pool filter illustration. So teenagers, children... If your parents have a rule, you should follow it. Okay? If your parents have a rule, you should follow it, even if it's something that's not in the Bible. I don't want children to be like, where does it say in the Bible how much candy I can eat today? Gray area, gray area, mind your own business. <laughs> okay? that's, a, that's a misapplication of what I'm teaching you. Because the Bible is very clear about respecting, it, respecting and honoring your parents. And if your parents have a rule in a gray area, now we're dealing with a different concept. We're dealing with obeying your parents. And parents have a right and a responsibility 
to establish healthy boundaries. Most of life is not directly covered in the Bible, but we have biblical principles, right? So don't be like, you know, if, if your parents establish a curfew, right? Don't be like, get away from me, Mom, with your legalism. <laughs> curfew is found nowhere in the Bible. Don't, all right, be careful. The parents are really loving this part. Uh, but here would be some gray areas in the home. Dating. When can I date? Who can I date? Screen limits. How much can I be on video games or my phone? What movies can I see? Look, if your parents have established boundaries in gray areas, say thank you to them and follow the rules. Okay? Say thank you to them and follow the rules. Because a home without a big old pool filter becomes a swamp. And let me just tell you this, parents. If you're a little more hands-off, like, oh, they got to decide for themselves and they can watch whatever they want, be on screens as long as that. You need a pool filter. Fast. Because trust me, the world would love for nothing more than to send all the sewage it's producing into the hearts of your children. So get this clear, gray areas definitely need boundaries. Um, and it, that is true in the home. It's also true in the church. The church needs a pool filter. And if your church has a rule, and that rule is not leading you into sin, right? It's just a, it's a way to express a righteousness in this area. You should honor it. So for example, on our leader team, we have what's called a leader covenant. And our leader covenant spells out some common commitments we make in gray areas. For example, we're very careful what we post on social media, knowing that other people in the church are looking to us for spiritual leadership. We're very careful. Uh, we have a policy that says we will show tremendous restraint if we consume alcohol. Tremendous restraint, right? We have a policy that says uh, when it comes to media that we will show tremendous restraint and discretion in what we view, right? Now, now these are all very loose, but they're also, uh, there's a lot of uh, expectation that we're going to be very careful in these gray areas. Um, so our church has policies, um, even about being held accountable. I, you know, I will confess my sins openly and honestly and welcome others to hold me accountable. We sign that, right? We sign that. Um, Giving is a gray area in the Bible. You could say that the Bible, of course, lays forth the pattern of tithing, giving 10% first to God, uh, but that's not commanded in the New Testament. It's one way to express your giving to the Lord, but as a leader team, every leader in this church makes a commitment to begin their giving with a tithe to the church. They do that. They, you know, they make that commitment, and they invite being held accountable to that. So I hope you know that our leaders in our church have really consented and, and covenanted together in gray areas to say, look, we're going to have a pool filter. We're going to have some commitments here that we hold each other accountable to. And if, you're, if your church has some of these expectations, it's often good. Uh, it's good to honor them, especially if you make that commitment. Now, the church isn't supposed to legislate on gray areas. That's not our job. We're not going to give you a list, Pastor Ryan's list of 100 movies to avoid. You're not going to get that list. But we are supposed to help you be discerning. If your company has a policy, you should heed it. Okay, if, for example, if their policy is no phone usage during work hours, don't be like, show me in the Bible where it says cell phone. I don't see cell phone in the Bible, so I can do what I want. It's between me and God. Get out of my business. If your company has a policy, then you have to honor that, as long as it's not leading you into sin. So number one, what is a gray area? Number two, in gray areas, mind your own business, whether you do or you don't. Number three, jot this down, because all areas of life will be judged by God. Because all areas of life will be judged by God. It says in verse 7, If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. 
This is a blanket statement that every area of your life is under God's righteous, sovereign rule. Hey, listen, Christian, gray areas will not be exempt from judgment. So we have to be responsible. This is between you and God. And it says here in verse 9, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And so we have to express, even in gray areas, that we have a Lord and that he is on the throne in these gray areas. And I would just ask you this. Maybe you're here today and you don't have Christ as the Lord. You have not invited Christ to be the Lord over every area of your life. You think everything is a gray area that you just get to decide how you want to live. And you're going to do it your way. And there's no such thing as a black and white thing. I would just call on you right now to repent and recognize that Jesus Christ is the Lord of everyone who's alive today. Surrender your life to him or your life will never make sense morally. Get that under him immediately. He is Lord of both the living and of the dead. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? You, why, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. See, the world will use verses like this to say, yeah, get off his back. You're not his God. Stop pushing your faith on him. And we'd say, oh, the Bible just said Jesus is Lord of everyone. So sharing my faith is not judging someone. It's actually loving them. But in gray areas, this is true. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Look, if they have a different opinion on when Jesus is going to return, get off their backs. Okay, God's going to evaluate their belief. You don't have to do that. Or why do you despise your brother? If they don't believe what you do, why are you scoffing at them? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Hey, relax. Relax. They're going to get it. And you don't need to give it to them. And you're going to get it, so you better be more worried about that. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to God. It's quoted from Isaiah 45, 23. You will give an account to God. I will give an account to God. Hey, listen, all areas of life will be judged by God. Let's talk about just our leisure time for a moment. We don't think when we're out on the boat fishing, we don't think when we're, you know, uh, like I like to run when I'm running a marathon. Or, you know, we don't think that those like leisurely moments are going to come up in judgment. We don't think that when we're standing before God on judgment day that the angel's going to be like, all right, let's get to leisure. What do you mean leisure? <laughs> it's all in there. And I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. There is not neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan is a serious matter to choose wholesome recreation. I like how one of the brightest thinkers in Christian history is talking about recreation. And, and that that area is a God area. And that we can glorify God in that area or we can let our pool filter get broken and we can dishonor God in that area. Well, how do we know? If God's going to judge every area, how do we know that we're not displeasing him. Well, in verse 5, it says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, and it goes on later to talk about our, our conscience. So write this down. Maintain a clear conscience. Maintain a clear conscience. Your conscience is like a smoke alarm to your soul. And when your conscience goes off, usually it's for a good reason. So like, let's say you're dating somebody, and you're like, well, they're a believer. But there's just things that are not 
edifying in the relationship and, and your conscience is telling you maybe this isn't the person you're supposed to be with and maybe even Christian friends are kind of telling you and you're like, well, I mean, it's not like in the Bible it's telling me not to date Fred, <laughs> you know, but you're, you're con there's just conscience issues, just the way that you're relating or the, how this person is affected. There's just conscience issues. Usually that's for a reason. Usually that's for a reason. And you should generally listen to your conscience. Maybe there's a habit in your life and you, your conscience just is not clear about it. <clears throat> um, it could be a person you're relating to. It could be a habit <clears throat> that you're investing in. It could be a substance that you have in your life. And maybe it's not, you know, I got into a car accident. I need to take these painkillers. I feel like I need to take them now. I'm still taking, and it's like conscience, conscience, conscience. I'm not necessarily sinning by doing what the doctor's telling me, but I, my conscience, I'm becoming more needy. I'm becoming more dependent on this. This could get out of conscience, conscience. You know, you got to listen to that. When Jiminy Cricket shows up with his little umbrella, pay attention, all right? Um, there's a reason for that. Somebody once said that pain is to the body what shame is to the soul. I, my body is really in pain right now because a few of us ran a tough mutter race yesterday. And oh, my goodness. I, like, I can't lift my left arm. Like, because there's this giant wall and people were jumping up and I had to, like, help them up with other people. And I'm like, Ow! You know, like, I, it's hard for me to move this morning, <laughs> but I love you, so I'm doing it. Here I am, right? <laughs> pain, oh, in the body, my knee, like, I've got pain, and the, the conscience is to the soul what pain is to the body. I know why I'm in pain, because I made a big mistake yesterday and did 25 obstacles, <laughs> all right? And if your conscience is giving pain to your soul, you have to say, why does that hurt? Well, ow, why, where did that pain come from? You should generally listen to it. Your conscience generally does help you. Now, here's conscience 101, though. You can have an overactive conscience. If you're enjoying something that you're free to enjoy, but you're feeling guilty, your conscience is overactive. Maybe you come from a legalistic background. We've had people come to church before, and they grew up in like a King James-only situation. They, when they open any other version of the Bible that's not a King James version, they feel like they're sinning. Okay. That's an overactive conscience. There, there have been women who've come to church wearing jeans and they're like, I feel so guilty. <laughs> I'm not in a dress. It's real to them because all their life they've been told dress code, dress code, and now they're like, I feel like I'm sinning. Right? Um, Lauren, my wife Lauren joked once that when we, we had several people coming from one church that had a real legalistic background, and she just joked, you know, because she will wear, you know, pretty casual around here. And so several women from this one church would meet her, and then she'd be like, hi, I'm the pastor's wife. And she said, they'd look at me, look at my jeans, and look back up. <laughs> they weren't being mean. It, it's, it's just a thing to them. It's a thing. They're like, you can wear jeans in this church and not go to hell? And some of them are like, Glory! Finally, and others are like, I'm out of here, right? We met a guy who got baptized in this church, and he's like, I came from, you know, harvest, and I learned about this, and, and, you know, I changed away from the King James Version of the Bible, and it's like, it's a thing to him. It's a thing to him. Your, your conscience can be overly active if you're enjoying something that you're free to enjoy. It might be time for you to reset your conscience using the instruction manual of God's Word if it's really working when it shouldn't be. Um, now, you could also have a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience 
is when you feel guilty because your conscience is working right. And, and, and you're, you, know, you feel guilty. You feel ashamed that you were watching that on Netflix. And it's because your conscience is working right. You know, and that's not the time to be like, shut up, conscience. That, it's like if something's burning in the oven and, and your house is in peril and you go up to the conscience and you're like, oh, stop. Here you are again. Fill in my home with noise. Like, arguing with your conscience is sometimes like arguing with your smoke detector. Your smoke detector doesn't care. It's not that burnt. Your smoke detector doesn't care. Smoke, smoke, smoke. And so if you're arguing with your conscience, you might need to listen to it. And then there are people who have a broken conscience. The Bible uses the phrase seared conscience, that you can tamper with your conscience. These are people who have removed the pool filter or shut it off. You have, early on, your conscience was warning you, but you have now plunged headlong in a gray area, showing no restraint, and you have become shameless in your indulgence in a gray area. You, you know it's wrong. You have tampered with your conscience. And, and now, and, and there are signs and symptoms that you have done this, right? And it might be time to change the batteries on your conscience. It might be time to put in the pool filter again and get it working properly. So do you have an overactive conscience? Do you have a guilty conscience? Do you have a broken conscience? You might have to imagine that. Jot this down. Pr practice tremendous restraint in gray areas. Practice tremendous restraint. Generally speaking, ask yourself, how can I honor and glorify God in this area of my life? And I'll say this, if any area of your life, what you watch, right, how much you drink, if any area of your life has no restraint, it's probably getting out of control. If you are showing no restraint in the video games that you let your kids play, it's probably getting out of control. If you will show no restraint in the amount you use a substance that's technically not illegal. You're, you're probably letting it get out of control. If there's no filter, right, no filter, you're probably going to have a dirty pool. So practice tremendous restraint. Often people ask, like in dating, well, how far can I go? Well, how far can I, well, how, how small do you want the pool filter to be? How, how much lust do you want to pollute your relationship with this person who you might want to spend the rest of your life with? You know, asking how far can I go in a gray area is like asking the pool guy, how, how small of a filter can I really get away with here? And he would be like, well, how dirty do you want your pool to be? See? Bigger the filter, cleaner the pool. Use that principle with your kids. Use that principle. Bigger the filter, cleaner the pool. But don't cross over into a sinful uh, law-based plan in this area. So number one, what is a gray area? Know it. Number two, in gray areas, mind your own business. Number three, because all areas of life will be judged by God. And then in number four, I'm going to kind of unsay what I said in number two, which is kind of fun because this is how gray works. So number four, jot this down, walk in love. Walk in love, which means gray areas in your life are definitely other people's business. Wait a minute, you just told me to mind my own business, right? And I'm telling you that what you have decided between you and God you do need to be aware of how it's affecting other people. So while you're minding your own business, you're also looking at other people to make sure you're not damaging them. You're walking in love. Verse 13 says this, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. <clears throat> so don't judge. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So, hey, weak, weak brother, you know, if, if you abstain in some areas and you don't do that as a Christian, hey, don't, don't judge. Right? Don't judge. 
but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Hey, strong, strong brother in faith. Hey, if you do in this area, if you do, don't trip anybody else. Don't trip anybody else. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Meaning Paul's like, there's nothing sinful about a veil burger. There's nothing sinful about a, you know, Zeus, you know, pork chop. There's nothing sinful about that. I know that. Paul's like, I know that. But look, for anyone who thinks it's a big deal, like I, I can't even eat there without thinking about my old idolatry. Okay, it's real. And here's the thing. You can think something is righteous, but it can be a tripping point to somebody else. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now that's, that's commanded to both. Don't destroy each other in your use of this freedom. So don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're using these things to get to the real discipleship. Look, if you were raised in a church where it was all about the rules, the rules weren't what it's about. It's all about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, meaning inner growth, not external conformity to rules. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Both. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because he is eating not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Again, he's talking to the weaker brother and saying, leave the, or the stronger brother and saying, leave the weaker brother alone. He's talking to the stronger brother and saying, you know, a different thing. So here's the summary. Jot this down. Don't police the freedom of others. Don't police the freedom of others. If you're offended by the conduct of someone in an area, it's not your job to police them. It's not your job to police them. You know, I can't believe you watched that show. I'm so offended. It's not your job to police them. It's not your job. I'm offended that you saw that movie. It's not your job to police them. And if you come from a more legalistic background, if you put more guardrails up in your life than the Bible deems necessary, just say this to yourself. I'm going to mind my own business. I'm going to mind my own business. Jot this down. Limit your freedom when it leads others to sin. Limit your freedom when it leads others to sin. Now, this is very situational. Sometimes the legalistic folks want to say, see, you should never, ever drink because of what this verse just says. That's not what it says. We're not creating black and white. We're managing in the gray, which means it's very situational. If you go to the book of 1 Corinthians, it covers this more in depth. But, you know, you might go to one lunch with one brother and, and drinking, you know, a, a beer or whatever would be sin. And then you might go to another lunch with another brother, and it's not. It's situational. Very situational. So limit your freedom when and if it leads others to sin. This is maybe the lively Christian who pushes their boundaries in freedom and they're not careful with what they watch and they're not, you know, they're not really cautious in how far they'll go in areas. Not necessarily sinning, but they're just really, really lively in how they live out their faith. Hey, look, you might lead other people into sin and, and their conscience is not clear. and You're just like, what's the big deal? So limit your freedom when it leads others to sin and then jot this down and this is a summary of everything. Enjoy your freedom responsibly. Enjoy your freedom responsibly. And I'll close with a verse from Galatians 
It says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't indulge yourself. But through love, serve one another. This is really such an amazing verse. Use your freedom responsibly. You're called to freedom. Don't make it all about the rules. Don't use your freedom for your flesh. Don't indulge yourself. Through love, serve one another. Love your brothers in gray areas. Do you see how that all works together? Now taking that, let's just close out and we'll pray to the Lord using this verse. Let's go to the Lord in prayer based on what we've heard today. Father in heaven, we thank you that we were called to freedom. Thank you that you have set us free. You have set us free to enjoy your presence and your power. You have set us free to enjoy what you have placed in the world. You have set us free for adventure, for fellowship. You have set us free from works-based righteousness. Help us not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Help us, O oh Lord, not to pollute our flesh by indulging in dark, sinister, sinful things. Help us not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to push past all boundaries and guardrails foolishly. Help us not, O oh Lord, to be unwise in gray areas. But help us, through love, to serve one another. Help us to see how our lives are affecting others, to see how our example is affecting our children, to see how our, our lives are affecting other Christians. Help us to see how our example is affecting our witness to the lost. And Lord, I just remember how it was said in the Old Testament, test me, O Lord, and see me. Examine my heart and mind. Lord, if there's any grievous way in us, help us to bring that directly to you. Correct our filter. Help us, O oh Lord, to hear our conscience and above all to put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Thank you for your clarity on these areas and we pray this in Jesus' name.